to, I want to take you to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I, I thought I'd be preaching again from um, Luke 2, but uh, I ended up over in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you'll find that, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 is, um, has this powerful, no-nonsense, unchallenged declaration that it starts with. The first few verses says there's an exclusiveness to who we are and what we do. And you'll see this word prominently in the opening verses of chapter 4. talks about one body, one spirit, capital S, one Holy Spirit, one hope. And then one verse says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And people can stop there and says, wait a minute. No, it's... It's talking about the immersion of our lives into the body of Christ. One baptism, and then it goes on to say, one God and Father of all. And I think he's making a point here that the body of Christ, the body of Christ is singular. Someone asked uh, a question among a lot of pastors, and it was kind of like a, it could set you up for answering it wrong. It says, how many churches are in Tuscaloosa. How many churches are in Tuscaloosa County? Anybody want to tell you yes? One. That's, the, that's where you're like, oh, yes, that's right. And somebody might say, are you sure? But there's one church. There's one expression of Jesus. We have different, different signs and different styles and different types of services and music and all of that. And some, some that's the, uh, the breaking point for some. They, they like this, they like that, and it's kind of like they just find a place where they fit in. But it's really one body of Christ expressed in different groups in different places. And he's making that point, and he says all of that to get to this connection of a verse. It's verse 7. If you'll just pause there and look, he's saying all of this to get to this point. And verse 7 connects what has been said before, and it, it really connects so powerfully to what he says afterwards. If you're at verse 7, it says, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And I've, I've titled this where grace is received, grace empowers. Each one of us has received grace from Christ as part of this body, part of not the first assembly of God, but part of the body of Christ. To each of us, grace has been given. We might add to that one one grace. He doesn't say one grace, but there's one grace from Christ. The word grace is charis, and it's kind of like connected to gift. Charisma is a gift. So it's grace and gift go together in what we're, we're talking about this morning. Each of us have been immersed into one body, one church by means of the grace that, that has come to us through the Holy Spirit, through Christ. Paul paints this picture afterwards of a conquering king. He gets to this point in verse 8. This is why it says, do you see the connection between 7 and 8? He says this, but, 
to each of us after all the one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, but to each of us, to each of us has been grace given as Christ apportioned it, that it says this. And this is why it says this. Have you ever read this and wondered, what is that all about? Verse 8 and 9 and 10. A lot of this is in parenthesis. When he ascended on, on, on high, when Jesus ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. He took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does, quote, he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What is a, this is a powerful picture. Now, when he says, and this is why it says, why, what said? You have to go to Psalm 68, verse 18. And we don't really look at David as a prophet. We look at him as a teenage, fearless shepherd boy taking on a seasoned giant in Goliath. We see him kind of like have this folklore about him that elevates him to one, at one place to be king. A mighty warrior becomes the most celebrated king of Israel. We also see him as a gifted musician and a songwriter and is filled the center part of this Bible with psalms that he put to music, that he wrote the lyrics of these songs. And many times he prophesies in his songs that when Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, was prophesied by David earlier, hundreds of years before. David prophesies in Psalm 68 of the ascension of Jesus, the triumphant ascension of Jesus. When we're singing one of the songs about Jesus, our victory, and the sound of triumph, the sound of overcoming, the sound of victory, it is because he's the victor. In, in Psalm 68, verse 18, if you're there, it reads like this. When you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord, might dwell here, that he might dwell in us through that giving. David prophesied about this. What is he getting at here? Christ came to this earth. Now, some people said the lower regions. Well, maybe he went into some of the regions of hell that some people think this means. We don't really know for sure, but he did descend all the way to this earth, and he took on death. He took on sin. I like to put it this way, and, and some people will understand this, that when Jesus came, he took on the bully that was on this planet, the devil, and he crushed him. If we believe the prophecy, yes, the Lord's heel was bruised, but it was bruised because he crushed the devil's head. The devil does not have the power he used to have. He makes people think he has that power. But the victory, he's painted as this victor who came into this world, fought the battle, won, and carried all the captives that he wanted captive and turned around and shared the spoils with us, shared the benefits of that victory. You may, um, you may see the term gift or gave often in this as you're reading the full throughout this. So it says Christ in verse 11. I'll, I'll pick it up from there. And we're going to go through the chapter, by the way. So just hang in there with me. So Christ himself 
It says he gave gifts to men because he conquered this battle. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Boy, we could use that, couldn't we? And then the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. All through the rest of this chapter, you're going to see things that he talks about that are benefits from us having this relationship with Jesus, but also the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit that enables you, listen, that enables you to say no. Do you know you can say no to getting angry? You can say no to not letting the sun go down on your anger. He tells us, he empowers us. The grace that is given to us empowers us to say no. We're not compelled, we're tempted. And according to James, when we're tempted, it's because there's, there's access. We've left access open that every man, every woman is tempted when they're drawn away by their own desires. That The desire doesn't have to be external. That, you know, I've never been tempted to rob a bank. That temptation, I know you should probably be relieved about that. I've never been tempted to do that. I've been tempted to lose my temper. Yeah. And through the course of my life, I figured out it's better to say no to that. Brenda thought she had married an absolute crazed sports fanatic when we first got married. I was happy until Auburn blocked two punts in 1972 and... And we were in a mobile home, and I'm like, hey, what happened? We lost the game, 17 to 16. She wanted, what's going on? I said, we lost the game. We lost the game. And she says, well, I said, they, they blocked two punts. They beat us. She said, well, I guess they're better. <laughs> wounded me. Seriously wounded. No, I wish I could say it wounded me. The next thing I realized, I drop kicked the ottoman across the living room. And she watched it fly through the air. She turned around and looked at me like, and spun around and went back to the bedroom. I was like, oh, that was not good. She thought, you are crazy. I said, yes, I am. You need to pray for me. So now it doesn't bother me. It didn't bother me this year. Well, kind of. Bothered me a little bit. I'll be completely truthful and honest here. But we, nobody makes us lose our temper. We can blame people. I wouldn't have done that if they know you. We are responsible for our reaction. And this is, this, the rest of this chapter is good news for us. It's good news that we don't have to do certain things. He goes on to say that he's equipping us for the unity of the faith, the fullness of Christ. And in verse 14, that we no longer are infants. In other words, immature people. Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there. Talked about consistency in Sunday school. By every wind of teaching, the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. He says, we don't have to be that way. We don't have to be that way. Instead, we can do this. By the grace given to us, we can do this. We can speak the truth in love. 
Brenda don't really care for people who repeat, you know, say repeat after me. Right? It's okay. It's all right. I understand that. But we might all repeat it to ourselves. Speak the truth in love. We can't do that. I think probably this is one of the biggest needs that we have in our world today. We, we, we want to candy coat something. We want to make sure it's kind of palatable. And, and we say things we really don't mean. This doesn't mean to be brutally honest, but it means to speak the truth in love. Just be honest. Speak the truth in love. This is the neat thing about praying with people uh, yesterday. It gives us a chance to hear their need, but also speak to them about where they're at spiritually. And, and tell them that God has a plan for them, that God loves them. And he wants them to be well. He wants them to know him. He wants them to walk after him. He wants them to have power in their lives to say no. Speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect. This is verse 15. Every respect, the mature body of him who is ahead, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, that's all of us, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the way this is supposed to work is that all of us are connected to each other so that we can contribute to the growth of each other. It was neat sharing a, a prayer room with Fred Shucker, one, one of my best friends here in the ministry. And Fred, if any of you know Fred Shucker, he doesn't have any problem speaking the truth in love. Because he just asked him outright, are you a part of a body of believers? Well, if you're not, then you're missing out on what God wants for you. There's not only nurturing there, but there's protection within the flock of the Lord. And so he was speaking. We spoke that truth into a lot of people. This is the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to be connected so that the whole body grows together, that we make each other stronger, right? But if we, if we come disconnected and isolated and take it as an individualistic purpose and destiny, we won't grow like we're supposed to. I, I want to say this, if, if we are just singularly the only source of our growth, then we're missing something. I'm talking about your, your personal Bible study, and if, if we don't have other people speaking through our life, it really, it really saddened me to hear that R.C. Sproul had passed away this past week. And some of you might not know who that is, but great preacher. And... Uh, very Calvinistic, okay? But I love hearing him preach. He's like John Piper. I love to hear John Piper preach. And I would listen to R.C. Sproul's podcast and just would soak up that man's knowledge. And it was sad for me to hear that he had passed away. You see, that's where I think we miss things. Where we, we only, If you only listen to people who think the way you think and believe the way you think... I think sometimes we're missing the cross-pollinization of our lives spiritually. And that people can bring things to our life that we might not be uh, on every point theologically in agreement, but we can all receive from each other. And I think that's what I'm, I'm trying to share this morning is you can only give what you have received. 
You, can't, you and I cannot give what we haven't received. We can only give what's been deposited in us. We can try to give what we haven't received, but it doesn't work very well. Because we can only give what we received. And this is a beautiful chapter as Paul, he, he expounds on this thought. And what follows is some great passages. Just bear with me here for a moment. What follows is how this is supposed to work. How grace is supposed to work in my life and in your life. Look at verse 17. So I tell you this. Insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Stop living like Gentiles. And I think in their mind, they knew exactly what he was talking about. This happy, sensual focus that it's all about me that was so prevalent in the Gentile culture, in the Roman culture. He was telling them, it's not about you, it's about the Lord. Don't make your decisions based on what you want, but on what he wants. If you can say, if you can ask God with every decision, God, what do you want me to do? And honestly be open to him, I think we'll make a lot of our decisions differently. And this is what he's telling them. Don't do that. Don't think that way. They're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves, and there's that word give again, because it's all through here. What do you give yourself to? What do you receive? And you can only give what you receive. He says, they've given themselves over to sensuality. To indulge in every kind of impurity, they are full of greed. It was all about them. That, however, is not the way the life you've learned. He said, that's not a definition of how we're supposed to live our life. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off that life. When you receive grace, here's the truth that I think should empower us. When you receive grace, that grace empowers you to do exactly what God wants you to do. Whether or not we do it, the grace empowers us to. Because, quite honestly, we're our, our biggest enemy. We're our, our biggest problem is getting by past ourselves. If we can kind of settle down and say, I want to follow the Lord for his purpose for me. And may his grace empower me. He's telling us this. Your former way to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitudes of your mind. In the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self. This is something you can do. The, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in your life can say, I can live this life out. Regardless of the situation and the context that you work in or live in. To put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you, you ought to underline verse 25 because I think this is, this is a qualifying statement for our world today. You might hear the word fake news. Who's telling the truth? Who is telling the truth? When you figure out who's telling the truth, please let me know. Because I don't know what to believe anymore. 
the onslaught of information and everything that's going on today, I think it's, it's time to get back to this book and say, what is truth? And not take someone's word for what is true. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. I think deceit and lying is one of the great thieves in our, in our lives. Husband and wives not being honest, being transparent to, to uh, and with our children. And, you know, one, one of the things I wanted to do with my son and my daughter was I, I wanted, I didn't want to, I didn't want to alienate them when I disciplined them. And that was, that's a hard, that's kind of a touchy thing. You don't, you don't, it, do I, I come too hard? What do I do? Is it punitive or am I in the wrong spirit when I discipline them? And it was this little lady that, that kind of like helped cal- recalibrate my rigidness to say, <laughs> I remember you saying, Charles, he's only three. <laughs> what do you expect? I expect him to come to attention. Well, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, you're right. You're right. I kind of like my expectations are too much for him. And she was constantly recalibrating. And there was a time when he got up to seven and eight, I decided that I'd go in his room and pray with him every night. And some of those nights when I knelt down, I was saying to him, Jason, uh, I owe you an apology, buddy. And the first time I did it, he was like, He's looking for Jesus to come, I think. You know, it's like, oh, my goodness. What's going on here? I said, I was a little too hard on you, buddy. And I'm sorry you forgive me. He says, oh, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, whatever. But from that point on, we had a different relationship. I had to recalibrate my expectations. And I think that's where, you know, I don't think my dad ever apologized for whipping me. I thought he should a couple of times. But I, I just think sometimes we get in a culture that we don't want to show weakness. We don't want to admit that we were wrong or we made a bad decision or we overdid something. And really, Brenda helped me to, to just be transparent, be honest about my expectations. And they were unreasonable. And be honest about how I one time disciplined our children. You know, I don't know if we ever spanked Kelly, did she? She she was like, she thought she was getting it. She like got an Oscar for, that's quite a performance there. Whoa. You know, she was like, hey, I haven't touched you. Our son was totally different. He just dared you to. But he just like put falsehoods away. He would say, well, does it really need? Yes, it needs to be in every area of our life to put things away that's really not true. Are you following me? And he's telling us the grace that the Lord has given us enables us to be honest about our weaknesses, about our failures, about our need for prayer. That, that We can't let pride infiltrate our life where we can't show any weakness or like, I need help. I, I need God to help me. You always have my permission to pray for me. Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down when you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. This is one of the places where he tells you what not to give. 
Don't give the enemy an opening to your life. And according to this, he jumps. And I'll tell you this. He does not tempt you where you're strong. (laughs) He won't waste his time trying to tempt you where you're strong. He's going to come at where you're weak, where I'm weak. And he's telling the people in Ephesus, don't give him that opening. Don't open the door for the enemy to step in and wreak havoc in your life. In verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no more. That's a pretty good, uh, that's, that's a very good encouragement there. Someone says, if you put the grammar, let him who steal, steal. No more let him labor. But <laughs> it doesn't matter where you put. No, he says, be honest about what's going on. And work. Why, why, why does he tell us to work? If you're there, why does he tell us to work? So that you can have your boat and, and all the amenities that you want. Is that why he tells you to work? Why does he tell you to work? So that not only can you provide for your family, so that you can be in a position to help someone else. That's what he says, right? Must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Not just for your need, but to be in a position to bless someone, to encourage someone. Verse 29 gets a little bit more interesting here, doesn't it? Do you think the grace of God that's given you will help eliminate speech from your life that you shouldn't have? Yeah, that's what he's about to get to. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Bless, bless, encourage, affirm. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. These are things he says, the grace of God that is in you allows you to say, I think this might grieve the Holy Spirit, so I'm not going to do this. I have the empowering presence of God in my life so I can have a good attitude right now. (laughs) A good attitude. And then he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. If there's a principle that I think is so ready for us to step into is this one right here, the last words in this chapter. If God has forgiven you, what is our reason for not forgiving others? How in the world can we hold people and hold an offense when he's forgiven us? He says, well, pastor, you don't know what someone did. I don't. But here's here's the question I want to pose to you because I've posed this question to people before. He said, you just don't know what happened to me. Is... God able to forgive the person who did that to you? Do you think God can forgive them? Think so? Then is our sense of justice greater than God's justice? 
Do we have a right to hold people accountable when he has the right to forgive them? You know, when, um, when I went through Royal Ranger leadership training, um, there were five verses. And I'll close with this so if the musicians can come back. There's five verses we memorized. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, John 1, 12, 1 John 1, 9, and Revelation 3, 20. And I talked to a lot of young boys in World Ranger Outpost meetings. Because from the time I went into ministry as a volunteer at a home missions church in Chiefland, Florida. Anybody know where Chiefland, Florida is? Levy County. Just below Dixie County. Did you know there's a county... In Florida, named Dixie County? Yeah. Down in Florida. Yeah, I know that. And that is a far cry from Levy County. They didn't even have a McDonald's there. And Brenda was pregnant with Jason, and our, we drove 40 miles one way to Gainesville. Can you believe our son was born in Gainesville, Florida? I wish I could change that on his birth certificate. <laughs> Brenda used to tell me, said, uh, Charles, he's born in Florida. I said, so? I'm baptizing him every day in Roll Tide. And he got baptized. But we were there, and uh, I don't know how many little boys in that neighborhood, they, they saw a cup in my in my car where we had been to a McDonald's in Gainesville and I pick them up for Oil Range Outpost meeting on Monday nights and uh, one of them saw that cup and says you been to a McDonald's and I said yeah I said, man I sure would love to go to McDonald's one day it humbled me these kids were poor but I have a chance to talk to them about Jesus. And those verses was like, for all have sinned. For all have done something wrong. You ever done anything wrong? You ever disobeyed your parents? You ought to lie to them. You ever did any of that? Yeah. Or that puts us all in the same boat. But look what this says. It says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Do you know the rest of the verse? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then John 1, 12. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. Then we go to 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from everything, all unrighteousness. And then Revelation three twenty, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And many times, do you, do you sense at all the Lord knocking at the door of your heart? And many of them would, you know, it is great to have, be a Royal Ranger commander and lead boys to the Lord. But here's what we would do to help them understand. We'd use, I'd use the dollar bill. How's that? That always gets a kid's attention I said let's just say this dollar bill represents eternal life 
But to have eternal life, you have to have Jesus. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in order to get the dollar bill, what do you have to do? And they said, take the book. That's exactly right. There's no eternal life apart from Jesus. Outside of Jesus is chaos. Powerlessness to live the life that we want to live. And if you haven't surrendered your life to the Lord, if you haven't tasted this wonderful thing called grace, the empowering presence, there's no one in this room who will take the grace of God and walk out here and say, but I don't think I can live it. Somebody's lied to you. He lives it through you. He empowers you to walk out this room, face whatever you face every day, and know that you're lined up with him because of his presence in your life and his grace is in your life. Would you stand with me?